Hey, thank you to Helix for sponsoring this podcast. Adam has had his Helix mattress for almost a year now, and he's loving it. It's it's actually hard to get him up. In fact, he won't stop talking about it. You'll understand what we mean when he goes into detail. Thank you for the detail, Adam, later on the episode. But for now, we want to tell our listeners about a special deal going on. Our Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and... As if that's not enough, two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet, and I'll bet it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. (sighs) Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. All right. You ready, Bonnie? I'm ready, but I don't have anything to talk about. Well, you definitely don't, given what you said moments ago. Let's just go ahead and do this. <laughs> Yeah, don't ever repeat that. No, don't. No, I I dare you to say this opening without laughing. (laughs) Just don't speak. No, here's the thing about this. Listeners, you never want to know what she's talking about. I tend to look on the bright side of things, and Paula tends to look at the negative side of things. Okay, Um, well, now you guys have pretty much locked yourself into having to bring this up. No, we're not bringing it up. We're not going to. And for that, I feel really badly for you. (laughs) Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, it's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life. Tonight, ethics. What is ethical? If Paula has a cookie and I'm hungry, is it all right for me to take it? Okay, what if she has five billion cookies and I'm starving? Why's Paula got to be such a dick about sharing her billions of cookies? UCLA's Dr. Pamela Hieronymi is here to help us work through Cookiegate, as well as other ethical dilemmas. Plus, how can we get more listeners in Eritrea? And why do we want them? I don't know. It's just a country that randomly popped into Bonnie Burns' head. And now it's going to be the subject of another edition of Tony and Bonnie's Oral Report. Yay! Yes, that's what we're calling it. And yes, we're aware it sounds kind of like a 1980s porn title. So why are we sticking with it? Because shut up. I'm Adam Felber, your resident conversational utilitarian, assiduously struggling to line up the discourse to provide the maximum good for the maximum number of people. And now, please welcome the ethical humanist who, if I'm being honest, does share her cookies, unless it's the last Oreo, and then keep your hands away from the bag. It's Paula Poundstone! Hey, guys! Hey, Paula! Nice to be with you, and thanks to tonight's house band, Nobody, Matt Evans from Santa Barbara, California, on the marimba and the electric bass. All right, uh, Paula, what's new? Well, Adam, I am so excited, and before I begin (laughs) to tell you what's new, I want to thank Captain Crinkle, my manager, Bonnie Burns, for working so hard for me. Knowing that it's my dream, she got me an audition for Gas Station TV. 
She did I not. Am, <laughs> I, I'm so excited and so nervous. Um, I, I've prepared a monologue to audition with. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Hi, it's me, Paula Poundstone, for <laughs> Gas Station TV. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer the strings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against a sea of troubles. <laughs> While you're fueling up your car, fuel up yourself. Step inside and get some chips or pizza. What do you think? I don't think that's the kind of monologue they're looking for at gas station gas TV. Gas station TV? Because that's strikes- Hamlet's fav- uh, famous you know, existential soliloquy about whether he wants to continue to live or not. It just doesn't feel like perky gas station material. How about this? Whether it is nobler in the mind to have nacho-flavored Doritos or Cool Ranch. That's good. Yeah. And, and how about if instead of the way you began it before, if, you know, it is a rest stop, so maybe you go with to pee or not to pee to open. Oh, that's good. To pee or not to pee? That is the question. And where? <laughs> not behind the gas station. Uh, yeah. Wow, Paula. Well, I'm I'm really excited for you. I, I really hope that audition goes well. I'm 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 concerned given your choice of audition material, but uh, I think that's great. No, I think you had some good. Uh, I appreciate your notes, though. I think those are good <laughs> notes to try to you know make it more appropriate for gas station TV. Between us, we might be able to get you on gas station TV, and of course on Bonnie. Oh you know, gosh. congratulations on finding that. Yeah. No, I knew she would be right. Bonnie can spot talent. I knew she could pull it off. Uh, thank you. She has a lot of faith in me. <laughs> a lot of faith in me. So, uh, yeah, so I'm very excited. But, you know, I, I have a pretty work-a-day life for the most part. But every now and then a little something, you know, a brass ring like this yeah. uh, sh- shows itself. and uh, Grab it, when it when, as, as, as it slowly rolls by. <laughs> and there goes Swifty, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There goes Swifty. So here's here's something interesting, Paula. Are you ready to to transition, as it were, into our book club? Oh, I am. I'm so excited. Okay. And the reason that we're excited is that we were close enough to the end that we decided to just go ahead and do it. And with that, I am going to bring the nope. absolute last installment of the Eat, Pray, Love section of the Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone no, book wait. club to order. What? What? Don't. Wait, don't you want what? the theme song? Don't you oh, want definitely. a book club theme song? Uh, wait, sure I do. Okay, I was a little on the fence tonight because it's the last Eat, Pray, Love book club meeting. So I thought, you know, I should do my song. But we've been getting so many nobodies writing in and sending like their version of my song. That's how popular it's gotten that I've brought one of them. And I decided to let this guy have his moment. And then if you guys want, I'll be happy to do mine. Oh, no, no, no. That's okay. That's okay. Um, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Let's hear this one. Who is this? Who who contributed? So this is from Johnny Song, and he lives in Shady Oak Grove, Arkansas. And he's a singer-songwriter, and you can find some of his material on uh, you know, if you search digital, it's a, he's on all the streaming services. Okay. Okay. So Aristotle, it's- cue that up. <laughs> 
We got a book club. We got a book club. We got a booky 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 book club. We got a book club. We got a book club. We got a booky 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 book club. We got a book club. We got a book club. <laughs> there you go. Johnny Thong. Johnny Song. Wow. I thought he really nailed it. You know what? When there's like a singer-songwriter, they so know their, like Bonnie. Yeah. They so know their material, right? Yeah. That sometimes when somebody else does it, it feels a little artificial. You know, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of like Jolene, for example, the right. Dolly Parton song. I, I mean, Whenever anybody else does it, I kind of feel like, oh, it's, uh, no, it's really, uh. and yet- uh, Mr. Song. Oh my gosh. The depths to when he when he would say bookie, 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 I just really felt like he was almost channeling Bonnie. Wow. Art is so interesting because one person can look at a canvas and see a beautiful sunset, and another person could look at that same canvas and hear a really weird cover of a completely stolen version of, of comedy tonight. Uh, mm, yeah, that's, that's deep. Um, anyways, thank you, Johnny song. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Johnny song. That was, that was very special. Thank you very much. Yeah. I'd like to encourage the nobodies to, you know, send in their songs for our book club. And I think Johnny did a really great job. Thank you, singer-songwriter Johnny Song. And, and, and Bonnie, now you've been covered by a famous artist, so that's something. Yeah, well. That's fantastic. I don't know that he's famous. <laughs> what do you mean? He is. He was on. He is. Nobody listens to Paula Pounced on the comedy podcast. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. All right, so let's uh, let's continue. Let's continue. I'm calling this to order. We've had our theme song, and now, blessedly, we are at the end of Eat, Pray, Love. We read chapters 96 through 100 and fuck of this book, and now we're finally out the other side of it. Was that a, is somebody blowing a horn? I'm celebrating. We're oh. done with Eat, Pray, Fuck. <laughs> But wow, what a what a finish. We got all the love crammed into those last couple of chapters. And boy, she did not hold back, did she? No. No. She described the relief of her masturbation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which I never realized how empty my life had been. Right. It's very, uh, yeah. And then she had the friend who she'd raised the money for the house. And then it turns out that... According to her boyfriend, all of the Balinese were, you know, had a little shyster quality to them. Yeah, but, you know, she ended up, you know, sleeping with the guy, building the house and getting the hell out of Bali. So and and then living happily ever after. And I guess the only question for the reader is how much did we end up hating her in the process of this? A lot. Um, <laughs> and... And she had more dreams where people were talking to her. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, her guru's guru. Her guru's guru showed up in her dream at a restaurant at another table and, you know, toasted her with his glass and said, enjoy. Yeah. It's interesting that she doesn't see that as herself saying that. Like, that, that came from her brain. That's not really her guru's guru. But she then does get... Um, Finally, at long last, agrees to start sleeping with Philippe. 
and they have that sex that you've been waiting for for the whole book, Paula. Oh, yeah. boy. Yeah, I was on the edge of my uh, seat. And she says that I think on the first night that they have sex that he returns to his native uh, Portuguese language in the course of sex. He's so taken that he can only repeat the word beautiful, 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 <laughs> beautiful. He also requests on the first night of their sex that, that he be allowed to do nothing but worship her body. Yeah. And it seems like all the other sex that's described after that, it's all kind of the same, which makes me really glad that I was never in a relationship with Elizabeth Gilbert because I think two people should participate in sex, not just one, when there are two people there. Yeah. And she really, she really presents herself as a total non-combatant who is there to be worshipped, that all she has to do is show up. Well, apparently he says to her at some point that he just wants to worship her, and and she's apparently okay with that. <laughs> she's really okay with that. That's not okay with me. I think one thing that is helpful, and Lord knows I'm not an expert on sex or relationships, but I think one thing that is helpful is to count off. You know, so, you know, he goes one, she goes two. Just do that every night. Just count off. Make sure you're both there. The way she describes it, though, that would be the sum total of her participation in the event. <laughs> did, did anybody besides me notice that? You know, there's a sequel. Did you know that? There's a sequel to this book. It's called Me, Me, Me. <laughs> yeah. What she doesn't say, but I found out from a reliable source is that while Philip is worshiping her and caressing her and telling her she's beautiful, she's typing. <laughs> <laughs> she's just getting some work done and uh, no shame in that. Okay, so they had so much sex. I have never heard of this before. She got some sort of infection. It's not described as like a venereal disease. She doesn't say so. She just says she got an infection. Didn't at first she say it was like a UTI? It was a UTI. That it happened. It was a UTI. UTIs can happen yeah. from having a lot of sex. Yeah. I never heard of that. I get a lot of UTIs, but not not because of sex. Just, <laughs> I guess, it's just nature's way of making me feel involved. <laughs> yeah, I would say that's probably true, but it, it's yeah. definitely a thing that can happen from a lot of sex. Wow. I can hear Bonnie and Tony nodding in the background. And by the way, let's start bringing them in. That's a good idea. Bonnie Burns up in the Simi Valley. How did you feel about the ending, the climactic climax? Well, okay, this is what I think. First of all, I think many of us are familiar with the UTI, and you probably could have seen that coming from her experience. But really? I never heard of that. <laughs> we have. <laughs> well, Paula, you're not a sex fan. No, not really. Well, by the way, this this doesn't make one any more of a sex fa Finding out that if you have a lot of sex, you get a UTI from it. That's not well, really on the plus column, is it? No, and it usually gets left out of most of those rom-coms. Yeah. All right, sorry to interrupt, Bonnie. I, I, I interrupted. <laughs> okay, anyway, here's what I think, oddly enough. You know, I have not liked this book at all, but... I felt there was drama in these last chapters, and I actually stuck with it. I was interested. I thought that it wasn't really about her loving herself. It was more like now that she'd gotten self-acceptance, we were hearing about these other people in her life, and it wasn't all seen through that window of, 
Oh, and then I saw how great I was. Uh, but, uh, Bonnie, I was willing to give her that first night because that seemed really romantic and cool that they wanted to do that. It was just all the descriptions of everything after that. And I was like, wow, are you going to say anything that you like about this guy other than the fact that he he just wants to love on you? And the answer is no, nothing. No, their bodies fit together. What did she say? That was one of the things that are, their bodies fit together Belly to belly, yes. Belly to belly. Well. Like, I had mm-hmm. to say, like, that's something good about why you like the guy? That seemed a little surface. <laughs> but... Uh, you can always use a shim, let me just say. <laughs> the thing when, like, your door doesn't shut quite and you wedge a thing in there, isn't that a shim? No, but here's what I thought. <laughs> By the end, I think she did evolve. I think she stopped seeing everything through... Like, okay, and this makes me great, and this makes me great. And she was looking at other people, and so I didn't enjoy her perceptions along the journey. But at the end, I did come to maybe not like her, but to applaud that she went on a journey, and she ended up with self-acceptance, not a perfect person. Yeah. I mean, I I hear that, Bonnie, but I... I still see a pretty self-centered person who's probably a dead fish in bed. Yeah, she probably is. <laughs> um, Tony Anita Hull and Sherman Oaks. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. Uh, Tony, what's up? Yeah, so, you know, there is this one part in the last chapters we read that I, I bumped me, and it's that she alludes to this idea that the patriarchy is dead. Yeah. And I don't know, it just bumped me. It just felt a little, I don't know. It was just that that part, I couldn't get past it, reading the rest of the book, even the sex parts, which I was looking forward to. I kept coming to the patriarchy (laughs) thing that she said. Wait a minute. Well, she said that she wasn't in favor of, did she say it was dead? She just said that one thing. Yeah, I know. She didn't say that all patriarchy is dead, but that just one thing rubbed me the wrong way. For some reason, Boy. because it's not dead in all over places. And then there was this one thing that he said to her. It was that she's fake thin, that she looks slender from a distance. But then you get up close and she's actually round and fleshy. Oh, well, look, is there anything about that chapter that isn't written specifically to make women readers swoon? Lay back, let your body be worshipped. And then he called her fake thin, which is apparently a Brazilian expression that means, hey, you're totally thin, but you're also very curvy in a great, sexy way. I don't know. It was just a, I, oh. I, just towards the end, I just got bumped. I don't know why. I think I romanticized it in my head from reading it prior. But anyway, I'm glad she boned him and that she found love. <laughs> <laughs> I had one other criticism, and I've said this before. It's that her joke writing can be really lazy. And she describes her road trip with Yudi and how they 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 fell into this whole sort of like hip-hop culture. A lot of our dialogue revolves around affectionate insults to each other's mothers. And then she provides some dialogue, and it is this. Dude, what'd you do with the map? Why don't you ask your mother what I did with that map? I would, man, but she's too fat. And so forth. <laughs> Oh, my God. It was brilliant. You just didn't get it. It doesn't even follow. It was layered. It's not layered, Paula. How how fat can this mom be that you can't ask her what she did with the map? Uh, You know what? (laughs) I would answer you, but your mom's too fat. Oh, you got me. No. I walked right into that. (laughs) 
I thought the whole end of the book was fantastic. Do you know why? Why? Because it was the end of the book. bring this to the close paula poundstone this book club is named after you and even though i'm president pro tem i would like to close out with you offering any last thoughts on eat pray love well if you haven't read it yet uh you're lucky because you got some extra time on your hands <laughs> yeah <laughs> I would like to bring the Eat, Pray, Love chapter in the Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone book club to a close. We got a book club, but we don't have to read Eat, Pray, Love anymore. Yeah! (laughs) Hang it, burn. All right, Paula, uh, do you have a word? Adam, I do. I have a word. It's maunder. It's a verb that means talk or act in a rambling or aimless way. Um... Uh, here, I'll, I'll use it in a sentence. I have a tendency to maunder on stage. <laughs> All right, this is such a good word. I really want it to stick. It might help if I use it in a crime setting. Uh, General Bannon here. Alors, Steve Bannon, it is our French Trump. <laughs> is every single set for our insurrection on January 6th? Yes, sir. Plans are almost complete. I've made the announcement numerous times on my podcast. Yes, I know. I've heard. Uh, you listen to my podcast, sir? Oui, I do. Thank you, sir. Could you also leave a review? It really makes a difference, sir. <laughs> and it's awfully hard to make any money at all podcasting. Steve Bannon? Yes, sir. Steve Bannon, this is way too long not to be talking about moi. Have all of the insurrectionists been told to look adoringly at me while I speak? They have, sir. I think if you don't maunder from the podium, we should have a beautiful insurrection for you to watch on television. What is this maunder, Steve Bannon? It's a verb, sir. It means talk in a rambling manner. How dare you, Steve Bannon? I do not maunder. I give the people what they want, which is to send their money to moi to pay my legal fees. Fuck you, Steve Bannon. I will tweet you another asshole when this is all over. You stupid coffee boy. You parasite. You germ factory. Maunder's a great word, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Let's put it right into the vocabulary song. Hold on. I have to get my uh, my concert Glock out of the um, carrying case. I just came back from another Glockenspiel event. Here we go. This week's word is maunder. It's a verb that means talk in a rambling manner. Someone who talks about Archie Comics, Salad Spinners, Mood Rings, and Matthew McConaughey in a talk on oil prices isn't a very good speech planner. Last week's word was mephitic. It's an adjective that means smelling very unpleasant, like a really old dead pheasant. The week before that, the word was perspicacious. It's an adjective that means having a ready insight into and understanding of things. I can tell birds can't fly without wings. I must be perspicacious. Going back before that, the word was flagitious. It's an adjective that means criminal, villainous, like whoever keeps talking Tony and Nita Hall into going on cruises and leaving us. 
Let's Never Forget Calamuffry, which I pronounced wrong until nobody, James Hyder, corrected me. It's a noun that means confused jumbler medley of things. Hodgepodge, who's podge, hodgepodge. Adam doesn't think my song is replicable, 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 but I do, I do, I do, I do. Yeah. 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 Nice one, Paula. Oh, boy. You notice how crisp my glockenspiel playing was? You know, it doesn't maunder. No, no, no. It's, it's, It's subtle yet assertive. Coming up, Albert Camus wrote, A man without ethics is a wild beast loosed upon the world. And then he added, and he might run again in 2024. We'll look to our own (laughs) ethics next on Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. Hey, Paula. You know... Every once in a while, we get a new advertiser that I get super excited about. And I have to say, just because of the circumstances of my life right now, I'm really excited about our new advertiser, Quince of Quince.com, the clothing provider. Not to be mistaken for Quince from Midsummer Night's Dream. And let me just say this, and maybe it's not important to an advertisement, but when I was in the fourth grade, our class put on a production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. Okay. And I played I played Peter Quince. There. There's the connection. One of the mechanicals. That's a great connection. Also, yes, has nothing to do with this, which is that um, Quince is an online clothing store. And as you know, Paula, I've, uh, I've lost a little weight lately. Oh, right. 75 pounds. Yeah. So I literally have no clothes that are in my size until I just ordered some stuff at Quince. And I figured, like, here's a chance for me to create a new look for myself. A whole new image. And how's it going? Not bad. I mean, the clothes are fantastic. I know that you ordered some too. What I got is I got the Comfort Stretch Traveler five pocket pants. And I got the, um, oh, it's so, and I got the 100% European linen shirt and it looks breezy and it fits beautifully. These are like premium pieces of clothing that are selling for like, you know, $30 a piece or starting at $30 at quince.com. It's awesome. I look good. I ordered the brushed lounge jogger and you know i put them on when i came back from new york i pulled them on and i i swear to you okay this is not scientific because i was tired already right but they were so soft (laughs) and and so comfortable that honestly like right as i got them up to my waist i i I think my eyes closed they're so it's a softness it's a kind of softness that I don't think I've ever experienced in a garment, honestly. You know, my uh, drawstring European linen trousers are a little bit like that, too. Like, so comfortable that I just want to hang out with myself. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're European. Keep that in mind. They're oh, European. they are so European. And you can get those kinds. Of, you can get washable silk tops. You can get uh, 14 karat gold jewelry and like all these accessories. Quince sells a lineup of timeless pieces that keep their customers looking effortlessly chic year after year. I'm not certain that I look chic, but certainly if I did, it's not going to take a lot of effort. I now look chic and I feel pretty great. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabric. It's all good as far as I can see. Is it my imagination or do they cut out the middleman? 
They cut out the middleman, Paula Poundstone. I love it when they cut out the middleman. That's the thing. They cut out the middleman. That's fantastic. So be like me and Paula. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash nobody for free shipping on your order and a 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash nobody to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash nobody. And honestly, I look fantastic. Paula, you won't be able to keep your hands off me. Oh, I can't wait. And don't <laughs> think that if you had to return something, don't think you're sending it to a middleman because they cut out the middleman. They man. cut out the middleman. That's quince.com slash nobody. And if you're going to do it anyway, use our code. Hey, Paula, it's been almost a year now since I got my Helix mattress. And as you remember, there was some drama surrounding Helix mattresses. Because oh, when oh my Helix gosh. first sponsored us, Bonnie took the mattress and yeah. she's been loving it. But finally, I got my chance to get a Helix mattress and I sleep so well. I mean, the family bed is where we all gather. We watch movies in, in our room occasionally and everybody just piles on it and it it's comfy. And yet when one person hops on, the other half of the mattress doesn't fly up. I'm a fan well, you know, Adam, everybody is unique and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. Models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side. Models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions plus enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It is the perfect combination of comfort and support. I agree with that last bit. I don't get all the technical stuff about the mattress, but it is soft and supportive. Helix offers 20 unique mattresses, the award-winning Lux, which I got, and ultra-premium Elite Collections, the Helix Plus, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and the Helix Kids mattress designed for growing bodies and endorsed by child sleep experts, and my daughter now wants one. So, how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You go to their website, take the Helix Sleep Quiz, and you find your perfect mattress batch in under two minutes. You know, when you said you can't follow all the technical stuff, it's really not that technical. You know, uh, no matter what way you sleep, they have a mattress that will support and comfort you. How hard is that? Uh, you know, when you say it that way, it seems a lot simpler. I take it back. That's my boner. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door, free of charge. And Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Well, I like that there's a warranty, but they can pry that mattress from my cold, dead hands. I took the sleep quiz. I was matched with the Helix Midnight Lux. I got the Lux. And I love it. It is such an upgrade from my old mattress. You know, I think Bonnie got the Midnight Lux. She did. Too. Yeah. You're not here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to take Adam's word for it? Well, you got Bonnie's word. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Your Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. 
That's a lot, and it's already not that expensive a mattress. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet. It's fantastic. It won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Well, not right now. And if you're going to get it anyway, use our code. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. On this day in unremarkable history, James Cash Penny said, Why does my last name have to be Penny? I'm never going to make any money. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you, house band Matt Evans. You know what? I want to take a second, though, here, Adam. I feel terrible about something that I did last week. What did you Um, do? You'll recall, Adam, um, we were talking to Nate, the gardening expert, Right. And uh, I said that I thought you had to work really hard at killing a tomato plant. And you said you had killed tomato plants. And I said, my son, you have a gift, which is a direct ripoff from my friend Lorenzo Mutterwarren's stand-up act. And I, I don't usually lift bits from other comics. And, and when, you know, reference uh, a line from someone uh-huh. else, I give them credit. But I did not do that last week. Um, unfortunately, Lorenzo Matawarren, uh, uh, who was one of the funniest comics I've ever known, he, he, he died last year. And, you oh. know, so he would never know that I had lifted his line without crediting him. But but it seems like a shame <laughs> to let that line die with him. Uh-huh. Uh, and yet to just use it willy-nilly feels unethical. Is it? Wow. Well, you know what? I can't really parse that. To me, the phrase itself is is already sort of in the vernacular. It's an idiom, whether due to him or not. My friend, you have a gift is... Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's my my son you have a gift my son you have a gift i see you know what yeah. i can't unravel that but here's something interesting by yeah. outstanding coincidence we have an expert in that subject right here what 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 <laughs> it's true it's it's amazing how week after week this keeps coming coming through it's serendipity times a thousand but dr pamela yeah, Dr. Pamela Hieronymi is a professor in the Department of Philosophy at UCLA and was a philosophical consultant on NBC's The Good Place. To talk about ethics, please welcome Dr. Pamela Hieronymi. Hello, welcome. thank you so much. Well, Pamela, thanks so much for being here. So, uh, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll get to my question later about my friend Lorenzo's line. Um but let, let me just begin here. Who who decides what's ethical? Is is there a consensus on on what's ethical? Um, well, so that depends. You could ask that question in a couple ways. Um, you could just be asking about what's ethical in a culture or in a situation, in which case it's a descriptive question, and um, we all kind of decide. We could we could take a, a survey and figure it out. Or you could be asking, 
what's really ethical, what's the right way to do things, um, how do we, uh, which things are permissible. And that second question is not settled by doing a survey. Um, that's a much harder question. And the question of who decides it is one of the questions that we study in ethical philosophy. Um, and there is, there's some people who think God decides it. There's some people who think it's set up by, um, that it's determined, not decided, but determined by the effects of actions on human well-being. Um, my own preferred theory says that it's, um, it's as though it were decided by all of us together when each of us has equal say in determining how we're going to live together. That's a theory called contractualism. Wow. Well, we've never had that. We don't have that to begin with, so you couldn't get the... I mean, we couldn't even do the census, for Christ's sakes, let alone allow everyone's voice to be involved in what's ethical. How, how do you study ethics? Like, how did you become Dr. Ethical? Uh, how, how does one become a professor of philosophy? Uh, through, through going to school for way too long um, and then having a lot of luck. Um, but how do, you, um, how do we go about researching these questions um, mm -hmm. is, this unfortunately, the same way you do um, any philosophical question, which is by reading and thinking hard and arguing with people and seeing what seems true at the end of all of that. So ethics is a little, is, is not like um, some people think of as science. Uh, science. Ethics is not like some people think science is, which in which you can go out and just discover the truth that's out there, so, so to speak, or at least I, I don't think it's that way. Um, I think it's a subject matter that's um, always under revision, always under review. And so, um, and so it's something that I think is uh, essentially contestable which is great. So, so imagine, so, so here's the idea. Imagine, in fact, I'm going to do it in two stages for you. So first stage, which is going to turn out to be wrong, but first stage, think about a situation like Westphalia, where, where you have warring parties equally matched and exhausted. And those warring parties that are equally matched and exhausted um, are trying to come up with the terms of a truce. And the thought is, what would the terms of that truce look like? It's not going to make everybody happy, but no one, because, because everybody has equal power, no one's going to accept something that's really unfair to them. What do you mean by Westphalia? Is that just a made-up place? Oh, sorry. No, that's an actual historical event um, in, in uh, Europe, in European history. There was a, wars that went on for a long time, and then a, um, the warring factions got together at a place called Westphalia and um, hammered out an agreement, and that's actually the spot in history where the idea of the nation-state, the sovereign nation-state, first came into being. Oh. So, so it's just a historical reference, but it doesn't matter for the idea. The idea is just that if you have equally matched people with equal power— who are all absolutely committed to coming to some agreement, the, but because they have equal power, the, the thought is they're going to negotiate until they get a fair agreement because no one's going to accept something that's unfair and, uh -huh. and they all will be willing to accept compromise because they want to get some agreement. So that's stage two. So stage two is um, ethics happens when we, when we live as though we uh, have established those rules, even though we're not 
equally powerful. So if you think, what are the rules we would agree to under those circumstances when everyone has equal power? And then you are committed to going and living your life under those rules, even when people aren't equally powerful. That's what I think ethics amounts to. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so when on this. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, so on this picture, um, sort of, um, it, one thing that comes out, which is interesting, is that is that the central form of of wrongdoing is something like thinking you're special, right? Something like making an exception for yourself, doing something that it's not the case that everyone could do, um, and uh, which some people call being an asshole. <laughs> well, I have a lot of frequent flyer points. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I'm allowed to go on the plane in the first right. group. Right. Or I'm, sometimes I'm even bumped up to first class. I would right. never pay for first class, but sometimes I'm bumped up to first class. Yes. Um, would that fall into the unethical category? Well, that is a fantastic question because I, the same thing happens to me. And I have real misgivings about these frequent flyer, um, these frequent flyer programs uh, because it does seem to me that um, they are um, taking their very best customers and making it the case that they keep um, they keep them happy and then treat the rest of the people like um, livestock. So so um, so what the airline example is doing is it's making us think about po- the policies we would adopt that would be, be best for everybody, and that's exactly the way the contractualist wants us to think. So you would think. Um, Suppose we have a policy according to which um, our best customers get to load first and everybody else has to wait. And um, you would have to think about um, each person affected by that policy and ask yourself if anybody has a reasonable objection to it and on what basis. And then you'd have to think about if anybody has a reasonable objection to an alternative policy and on what basis. And... um, and by that process, you kind of come up with the policy that no one can reasonably reject, and that's the that's the contractualist formula that an action is wrong. You know what you're not taking into consideration hmm. um, is that I fly a lot. And I know part of part of the result of that is that my fucking hips hurt so badly mm-hmm. <laughs> that if I happen to get a little bit more room, yep. Uh, it's because I had to fly so much. Yeah. So that Anything would be a, there. Any, yeah, can no, I get rescued there? On the yeah, no, that would be a, scale? that's a consideration that you could put in, you could put no, into the, into the conversation. It is, you can Adam. put anything in the, consider, you can put anything in really, if you want, but, and then that has to be weighed against others. It could oh, be, it Isn't, could be. There's lots of ways I, to hurt your hips, Poundstone. Try having these hips. Go ahead. Try <laughs> All right, I'll do it for like a week. We'll see what happens. But let me ask, you've explained contractualism really well, I think, and I think I get it. But what does a contractualist like you do when you run into somebody who says, well, in the book of Deuteronomy, it very clearly points out that the frequent shall fly the most comfortable. What about the people who get their ethics from religious eternal derivation, who believe that these rights are, you know, endowed by their creator and not just self-evident? We disagree. Religion and ethics are two different things, aren't they? Uh, um, not for everybody. Um, so many people think that um, that ethics um, 
is ultimately grounded in religion um, and other people think not. Um, some of that can be accommodated um, in, sometimes you can get an ethical theory and a religious um, theology or, or prescription of how to live to, to mesh. Sometimes you can't. Um, and so you end up in that case with disagreement. The thing I like about contractualism, contractualism is an ethical theory grew out of political, um, so contractualism is a political theory, which was the political theory that grew out of the, um, the enlightenment and all of those religious wars. And it is purposefully minimal. So it says that the right and wrong rules or principles are the minimum standards we have to live up to, to live respectfully with other people who we disagree with. So you have to be committed to coming to some or another way to live with others, this kind of truce. Um, but it, it's designed so that it can leave open a lot of questions about what the best life to live is. So contractualism and moral philosophy is actually kind of um, the odd man out because other moral philosophies try to ask what the best life is or what the good life for human beings is. Like these very, very ideal, that very high ideals that kind of cover all of life. Whereas contractualism just asks, like, how are we going to all get along? How are we all going to all live together here and not and not kill one another? And and it stops there. Well, you know, Wynton Marsalis once said ethics are more important than laws. And sadly, that still didn't get him out of that speeding ticket. More ethics when we come back. The Cat of the Week is Taffy from Carrying Place, Ontario. Hey, nobodies. Uh, I told Adam um, that I needed to talk to you about my female problems, and so he's not on right now. Um, but really, I just wanted to let you know that I'm back out on the road. So check my website, paulapoundstone.com, to see when I'll be near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back with Dr. Pamela Hieronymi. Oh, I love that last name. Paula, you had something you wanted to ask. Well, are, for, first of all, are ethics, are, are, they, are they human or, or social? For example, um, are we born into the world with uh, ethical instincts? That's, yeah, that's a great question. Um, my own opinion, people have various opinions about this. My own opinion is that we are born into the world with a form of sociability, a human form of sociability that makes us care very much about how we figure into one another's worlds, how other people think about us and what kind of regard they show to us. And that from that basic form of sociability, you can build out to 
thing, greater ideals like equality um, um, and or, or an ideal of taking care of the planet or something like that. So I think, mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes people think that people behave because um, they're worried about punishment, either uh, that if, if you think that's, I invite you to, to think skeptically about that idea, because in fact, we don't have nearly the kind of surveillance that we would need um, in order for it to be the case that people behave and, and restrain their pursuits because of fear of punishment. Um, now, if you have a if you have an all-knowing God watching over and a threat of eternal punishment, then then you're good. Then you can think people behave because of because of threat of punishment. And Paul is worried about using the words uh, "my son" and her her, her friend, right? So, uh, my, he, my son, you have a gift. But we decided that you have a <laughs> gift was in public was in the public domain. So it's really just the "my son" that you're worried about. Oh, I see. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, you know, I have to say, I even say it a little bit with Lorenzo's, uh, well, a lot of it with Lorenzo's cadence. Ah, um, uh, okay. So we find that without even a God thing or without somebody surveilling us, we can, you know, we we still care. We uh, care. Yeah, we would like to do the right and even thing. even people. Even some of the worst people you can think of who might have been in positions of great power recently are super concerned to justify themselves on Twitter and elsewhere. Even people who are seem like like they seem like they don't care at all, if you look carefully, they do care. They want they want people to think they're right. So 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 that's that that's that sociability. I disagree with that premise. In this case, mm-hmm. this example, um wants other people to pay his law bills, his legal bills, in which case he has to convince people that he is a good person. He doesn't tell everybody I'm robbing you blind. He doesn't, he doesn't care. So it could be, so yeah, it could be that there's a different psychology than I, than I expect there to be. But, but my read is that there's a, there's a, um, a lot of concern about um, always being in the right and always being able to justify himself and his actions to others. Um, and, and I, and I think you find that, um, I, I, that I think is part of our, our, our social, our form of sociability. Um, it doesn't get you very far as that example shows people, you know, people can treat one another really horribly and justify it to themselves and go around feeling good about themselves. But if you add to that, um, some other pieces. I think you can get. I think you can get ethics out of it. One of the things I love about that show that you consulted on the Good Place is, you know, there is a philosopher on as a character on the show. Cheedy. Cheedy, who I love. Yeah, me too. And and one of them that that really stands out for me is the episode with the trolley problem, where he talks yes. about the trolley problem, and then there's an actual trolley problem. The trolley problem is uh, ethics one hundred and one um, main fodder. Um, and the thing is, it's gotten out into the public, uh, into the public conscience and everybody thinks the trolley problem is about the trolley. They think, oh, the trolley problem is whether or not to turn the trolley and kill one person instead of letting the trolley go straight and killing five people, right? That's, that's the, the trolley problem. You're the trolley driver and you come around a bend 
and there's five people in front of you and there's like a steep hill on one side and a cliff on the other and they can't move and you're going to careen into them and kill all five. But it's your day because right ahead there's a, another track and you could switch the trolley off that track and to another uh, off onto that side track. But there's one person on that side track. And so oh. the first question is whether to turn the trolley away from the five towards the one. And so most people, not everybody, but most people in my class, when I ask them this, think you turn the trolley. And when you, and then I ask them, why? What is your reason? What is your rationale for turning the trolley? And they come up with the idea that, well, it's better to have one person dead than to have five people dead, which seems pretty if, like a pretty good rationale. Well, it's such a painful... It's such it a is. painful question um, yep. that it's even get worse, though, even what's the word? Uh, hypothetically, uh, I don't even like being in that position hypothetically. But uh, oh, you gosh. think the real question is something different than should you become a trolley driver? So, yes. So people think the trolley problem is about whether to turn the trolley. That's not the trolley problem. Turn the trolley because it's better to have five uh, alive than one dead. So, um Everybody, most most people think that's the answer there. The puzzle, that the the real the real juice of this thing comes out um, in the next stage, in which in which case you are no longer a trolley driver. You are now a, a transplant surgeon. You are the world's most um, gifted transplant surgeon. None of your transplants has ever failed. You're having a very bad day. Because you have five patients on death's door. Um, one needs a heart, two each need a lung, one needs a kidney, um, and one needs a liver. They've all been in a terrible trolley problem. Um, <laughs> and sorry, that was that That's... was somebody else's joke that I should credit. Given <laughs> no, I was, it's a good concern. How dare you? <laughs> um, I know. Um, so 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 they're all going to die, and you're really upset about that. Um, but all is not lost because you also have um, Chuck, your um, your patient who is has um, is now fully healthy. He's just come in for a final checkup, and you realize Chuck is the perfect donor for all five of those other patients, and you have the skills needed to. I mean, Chuck is Chuck is hogging all of the good organs, really. Uh, and yeah. you have the skills needed to uh, more equitably redistribute the organs that Chuck is hogging uh, to these other five and save five lives at the cost of one. You're going to kill Chuck and save five. But the idea is that's exactly what you were doing when you turned the trolley. Right. Oh. So, right. Right. So, so when I say to this, this, so the students will say, no, you can't chop up Chuck. And I say, okay, well, why not? Um, and because you told me just a second ago that it's better to have one dead and five alive rather than five dead and one alive. So what's the difference between the Chuck, the surgeon case and the original trolley case? And that's the setup for, um, for an intro to ethics class. Because what, you've just, what I've just done is set up a conflict between ethical theories that are called consequentialist theories, which always look at the consequences or outcomes. And that's what gets you the answer in the trolley case. You're looking for the best outcome. 
and ethical theories that get called deontological theories, which look at rights and duties and things like that. So I think I just want to say to any listeners who may be named Chuck, um, when you make a doctor's appointment, I think it's important Mm -hmm. to say to the receptionist, is he busy that day? Yeah. Um, I think you want to go in on a slow day. When yeah. 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 Or if you happen to notice some, like, five other people in the waiting room, each mm-hmm. of whom seem to be missing a different organ, get the fuck out of there, Chuck. Run, Chuck. Run like the wind. Yeah. Go, Chuck. It's not your day. Well, Pamela, that was that was excellent and well put, might I add. And now we're going to take that entire ethics seminar that you just taught us and we're going to run that information through a machine we call the old Poundstonator. Paula? House band Matt Evans on the marimba and the electric bass, you sound great. Thank you so much. But now that I've thanked you, could I ask you for more? If I could get a little background music, I'll tell you what the old Poundstonator spit out. Dr. Pamela Hieronymi, thank you so much. This ethical discussion has really made me think. I have four million miles on American Airlines and I don't fly on them most of the time. I can hear my hips while I'm sitting on the plane. I have flown to Provincetown, Boston, Portland, Oregon, Portland, Maine, Eugene, Bismarck, Pierre, Bozeman, San Diego, St. Louis, Fairbanks, Anchorage, Juneau, Indianapolis, Burlington, Sarasota, Orlando, Fayetteville, Savannah, Huntsville, Birmingham, Rockland, Fargo, Cheyenne, Ukiah, Fresno, Sacramento, Kansas City, Little Rock, Lincoln, Denver, Colorado, Springs, Nashville, Dubuque, Knoxville, Dallas, Houston, Austin, Galveston, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Daytona Beach, Miami, Palm Springs, Tampa, Richmond, Cleveland, Charleston, Raleigh, (laughs) Springfield, Cincinnati, (laughs) Lexington, Salt Lake City, Boise, Atlanta, Detroit, Chicago, New York City, Hartford, Albany, Honolulu, Maui, Dayton, Key West, Sarasota, Jacksonville, Jackson, San Francisco, Baltimore, Tucson, Phoenix, Las Vegas, Minneapolis, Sioux Falls, Albuquerque, Jefferson City, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, and I've missed some. I've had drinks spilled on me. I've had luggage fall on my head from the overhead compartment. I've been delayed for hours. I've been stranded for days. The airplane bathroom door has flown open while I was seated inside. I've been in turbulence so violent that the flight attendant crawled from the back of the plane to the front. My luggage went to Hawaii for a week when I went from LA to Chattanooga. One suitcase never came back. Tommy Chong once held my baby for me while I used the airplane bathroom. However, if it's unethical for me to get on first, I'll wait. She is a professor in the Department of Philosophy at UCLA. Thank you so much, Dr. Pamela Hieronymi. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was wonderful. Thank you. It was terrific being here. Thank you so much for having me. Coming up. Don't cry for us, Eritrea. The truth is, we hardly knew you. But that's about to change. Bonnie and Tony's oral report is coming up next. Fun fact, Hawaiian pizza was created in Ontario, Canada by Greek immigrant Sam Panopoulos in 1962. But he doesn't really deserve credit. He deserves blame. Thank you, Matt Evans and Paula Poundstone. We have a pretty exciting guest coming up next week here on our show. We do. 
Now, you did this for us, I believe. You managed to secure a very special guest next week. I am so excited. We have the author of the New York Times bestseller, There Is Nothing For You Here, which, by the way, I am halfway through, and it is, it's great. She is a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution and former national security official. We are going to have Fiona Hill. Wow. Yay. Yeah. I'm excited. In case that name Fiona Hill sounds just a little bit familiar to you, my listeners are smart. They know who she is. Um, but say there's a listener from another podcast that happens to have wandered <laughs> over. Fiona Hill testified during the first impeachment hearing of Donald J. Trump. Uh, she is an expert on Russia. Woo. You loved her at the impeachment hearings. You're going to love her on our show. <laughs> I'm really excited to get to talk to her. And speaking about the international outreach of this program, Paula, <laughs> as you know, we, uh, we've made it a habit of looking at the charts, uh, seeing what countries we're doing well in or starting to do well in, or maybe a country that we're lagging in. And then we have Tony and Bonnie do these um, oral reports, kind of welcoming the people from that country. Yes, you know, Fiona Hill, um, when she hears our work in this area, may want to come work for Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's quite possible because our international outreach, it's, it's, it's kind of amazing. And, and we're really building up a global audience, one listener at a time. This week, however, we're doing it a little bit differently because this is not a country that we even knew what our listener statistics were. It was more a matter of Bonnie saying, what about Eritrea? Yeah. I don't know where it is, but what about it? I believe that's a direct quote. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we said, yes, let's have Tony and Bonnie's oral report, Eritrea edition. Yay for Ooh. us. <laughs> Tony and Bonnie, please step on up to the mic uh, or to the front of the class. Stand in front of the chalkboard and speak in, speak in your best big, loud voices and let the whole class know about the African nation known as Eritrea. Well, uh, you know, Tony and I, this is a group report for us, and I think our group report parodies those stupid, dumb group reports that you used to have in high school where you have to share with people and your partners have to, you know, share their grade with the work that you did. And I don't know if I'm going to be supporting Tony or if she's going to be supporting me because we didn't have a chance to meet like a lot of times that happens with the group projects. Because your mother didn't have time to drive you over to Tony's house. Okay, I understand that. We're very busy. We were both busy. Mm -hmm. We planned to talk on the phone ahead of time and get our notes together and decide who would say what, but we didn't really have a chance to do that. In fairness, Tony had soccer practice and Bonnie had her private <laughs> flute lesson. Yeah. Huh. I was ready to bail. I was ready to bail on this report and let Bonnie do it by herself, but I pulled it together. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so uh, we've decided that our format is going to be that we'll take turns presenting information about Eritrea. And I'll go first. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> okay. I was going to play the national anthem, uh -huh. but... I was a little pressed for time, 
And the only one I could find had like the lettering in white of the lyrics, and I couldn't really see those that clearly, so I decided to bail on that. Can you feel your grade going down as you speak? <laughs> no, I'm just being honest. Okay, so here we go. Kids are so overscheduled today. Bunny, you also had you also had your 4-H club meeting, didn't you, with your goats? So Okay, so here's the reason I didn't know anything about Eritrea, because it's considered a small, unknown country. And it's in the Horn of Africa. It's bordered by Ethiopia, Sudan, and Djibouti, and it runs along the coast of the Red Sea, which I thought, wow, what a great country, right? I mean, who knew about that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There are a lot of Christians. 66% of the country is Christian. Which is a lot for East Africa. Wait, no, 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 back up. I don't think that's entirely true. I believe 63% of the country is named Christian. Wow, that's an even more impressive stat. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, now I'm turning it over to Tony. As I explained, we're... Wait a minute, Our format is to alternate facts. I don't feel like you told us anything. Wait, I did. She described where it was. She did. She described where it was. But what you also said is the reason you knew nothing about it is because it's considered an unknown country. That's ridiculous. Is it on a map? It is, but not a lot of people know about it. Okay, but that, what do you mean? It's considered an unknown country. Okay. If you read about it, then you, then now it's. I didn't know about it until this report. Okay. Uh, I didn't know about it. All right. From here on in, no one will get away with that description from here on in because we are featuring Eritrea on Nobody (laughs) Listens to Paula Poundstone, episode 174. All our listeners are going to be experts on that little nation in just a few minutes. Tony, why don't you step on up? But isn't Djibouti the cutest name for a country ever? It is. Yeah. Remember that song from the music man? Djibouti. 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 <laughs> the girl who out for more. Yeah. Oh, is it Shapoopy? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Well, then forget I said anything. I'm sure people in Djibouti get that all the time, though. I'm sure yeah. they do. I was singing it to Shapoopy, Paula, earlier. Yeah. Can't help yourself. <laughs> All right, so... So Asmara is the capital, and um, Asmara means women made them unite, which according to oral tradition refers to the women of the four clans in the Asmara region who persuaded their menfolk to unite and defeat their common enemy. Who was? Oh, I don't know that part. (laughs) (laughs) Ethiopia. But there we go. Oh, okay. We're getting ahead of ourselves because I just wanted to say back to the... Christianity. Eritrea was established during the first or second century AD, which I thought that was really interesting. And they Mm -hmm. adopted Christianity around the middle of the fourth century. So they were like OG Christians. Well, teacher, if that's what you want to use, it's fine with me. (laughs) It's kind of impressive because even Europe wasn't totally persuaded on the Christianity thing by the fourth century AD. They were Christians in BC. Um, wow, that would be very impressive. Yeah. Um, you know what was disappointing and what Tony just said when she said that was it the wives, the women that got the, the men to join together? And yeah, if if the story had stopped right there, it would be a fantastic story. But it was joined together to fight an enemy. And that's like, oh, OK. So they weren't really breaking any new ground there. I would like it if they just joined together because because it's ethical. 
Uh, because it's, you know, to care for one another. But no, it's if an enemy. Uh, okay, good, more fighting, good. Right, but for an oppressed country, which we'll get to a little later, uh, the women of Eritrea have been known to fight alongside their men as far back as 1810 A.D., huh. which pretty progressive. How is that? Pro- okay. Yeah, let, let, it's, it's important to let women kill. I, o- I always agree with that. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Equal pay. Yeah. Equal and they, rights. Equal and they, pay for equal sleigh. <laughs> well, here's one thing. It's a multi-ethnic country. I thought that was really interesting. They've got nine recognized uh, ethnic groups, and they have nine different languages that are spoken. The working language, so the one that most people speak, I think it's 55% of the population, is Trigrinya, and the currency is called NACFA, so here you go. Usually when people say, here you go, they follow that with something. Oh, you can't hear that? Hold on. No. Oh, my mistake. Okay, hold on a minute. I don't know what you think you're playing for us, but we're not hearing anything. <laughs> oh, whoopsie. Really? Yeah. You know what? Oh. It might be helpful for you to get a student to run down to the AV department and bring you back a film strip projector. I thought it would work. Yeah. All right, let's go back to Tony. Yay. Uh, So one of the oldest humans... (laughs) One of the oldest human skeletons of its kind was discovered in Eritrea in 1998. A one million year old hominid skull was found near the village of Buya. I'm guessing that's how you say it in Eritrea near the Red Sea coast. So a one million year old hominid skull. So the dawn of man could have happened in Eritrea. Yes. Wow. They were early to the party for everything. Like if you want to know what's next after K-pop, listen to an Eritrean radio station. (laughs) <laughs> no, it it really sounds like an interesting country. One of the problems is that in my research, it was also described as the home to one of the world's worst dictatorships and popularly known as the North Korea of Africa. Oh, Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. you might have buried yeah. the lead there yeah. a little bit, team. Mm. Yeah, the North Korea of Africa. That's not good. That's not a compliment. It's not good for us because it has the lowest level of press freedom in the world and is ranked last of the 180 countries assessed in the World Press Freedom Index. Oh, you know, group, if we could (laughs) huddle up for a minute. (laughs) Everybody, this is why we check the listener stats before somebody just goes like, how about a retreat? No, I think this is great. Um, this is a country and, that can't possibly listen to us. No, they will. Here's the thing. If they're oppressed, then this will inspire them. They're going to hear from another country. Somebody's going to come in that says, oh, nobody listens to Paula Poundstone was talking about you. And they're going to go, what, what, what? And they're going to go, yeah, on their podcast. And they're going to say, well, we must become a democracy so that we can listen to nobody listens to Paula Poundstone. Um, you know, I'll tell you something. Tell me if you disagree, but um, I don't think the Eritrea Gazette uh, newspaper has ever <laughs> been at a career day um, in uh, United States schools. No, yeah, probably exactly. not. 
Yeah. Uh, Tony, Tony, I want to, you know, I know that you, you and Bonnie are still doing the report and Bonnie's turn is next. But Tony, did you look into our listener stats in Eritrea? I couldn't find any. I couldn't even find their like top podcasts. I tried, but it came, I came up pretty short. Is it because they can't listen to podcasts in Eritrea? Ooh. It might be. Yeah, but know. again, this is a motivator. <laughs> this is a motivator. This is a, a motivator. This is gonna make yeah. people. This is really gonna help in the fight for freedom in Eritrea. All right. Well, let, well, let's make that happen. If you're in Ethiopia and you're a listener of ours and hearing this right now, and you're thinking of uh, popping down across the militarized border to get a sandwich in in Eritrea, please mention us. Oh, by the way, you may not know it's there because. Um, it's a little known country. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, one of the things in my research, I, I found Eritrea, you know, a country of contradictions because on one hand, it's considered a chilled out and tourist friendly destination filled with kind-hearted people, huge diversity, and loads of unique things to do. So if you're traveling to Eritrea, it's the ultimate offbeat experience in Africa. Isn't it Eritrea? What'd I say? Eritrea. I said Eritrea. Yeah. You don't hear properly. No, you said Eritrea. You said Eritrea. Let the record reflect that oh, you had a Oh, fuck you people. Eritrea. Yeah. And then you said, oh, fuck you people. Okay. First you said Erethea, <laughs> and then you said fuck you people. <clears throat> so you mispronounced thank you for correcting me as well. Yeah. Because it came out sounding a lot like fuck you people. Yeah. Okay. After you said Erethea. All right. So there's that. And then. Wait a minute. Okay. You're giving an oral report and, and the teacher makes a comment and you say fuck you people. What school did you go to? <laughs> I went to a progressive school where we got to call the teachers by their first name, Paula and Adam. And yeah, uh, there were many ways of teaching there. Yeah. Okay, so what, what's the new fact that you learned? Okay, well, okay, so here's a dichotomy. Here's one thing I didn't completely understand. They are ruled by a dictator. However... He's yeah. the guy that ended the 30-year war with Ethiopia. So wow, that was good. I guess. Yeah. So is it a brutal dictatorship, though? I mean, like, does he kill people? This is what they said about well, that. Well, I think the earlier information you gave us sounded like it came from a brochure. No, 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 no. Which is not no. necessarily a good fact source. <laughs> okay, here's what he was described as. He's, his name is Isaiah work. Maybe I don't have the accent right. He's a political leader and revolutionary. He's been president of Eritrea since uh, 1991. And then he led the war to get independence from Ethiopia. So that sounded pretty good. But then at the same time, here was a not so great thing, which is, yes. according to the Human Rights Watch, the Government's human rights record is considered among the worst in the world. Yeah, that's not so great. <laughs> um, not best, not best. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> no. Okay, so when I read that, I thought, maybe I should tell my teachers we should pick another country because we don't want to be making fun of Eritrea. However, it turns out that 
it's not that the president dictator guy is out there killing people, like randomly killing people, mm-hmm. you know, and no, conscripting like young guys into the uh, military, getting them hooked on drugs. It's that he just arbitrarily arrests them and, you know, puts them in jail. And people are charged for political activism and uh, you're not allowed to be uh, have same-sex sexual activity. It's illegal. All right. They're oppressed, but I mean... But, Bonnie, you're trying to look on the bright side of that oppression? <laughs> I know you're a person who likes to look on the no. bright side. I mean, so they're oppressed. This sounds so different from the brochure you read earlier where you said that, you know, it was a place where a lot of tourists come. So tourists come and and... They can just hear on the other side of walls people imprisoned. Uh, I, I don't. I don't see how the. It's a small country. I don't see how no. the two things go together: the happy no. tourist life, and the and the human rights violations. Because they're oppressed. Okay, they don't yeah. really have rights, but they're not treated meanly. Okay, that's. Yeah. And so it's an enjoyable place of chilled people, <laughs> chilled out people, and beautiful scenery to see. Okay, when you say they're not treated meanly, I don't think you understand what prison is. <laughs> Over to Tony. Oh my God. I'm now I'm I'm a little bit intimidated to speak any further about the country. I see. Well, (laughs) is there any way we could just jettison the whole topic to Indiana? (laughs) Come on, Tony. Um, let me see. So I, there's actually a lot of Italian architecture in Eritrea because it was colonized by Italy in 1890 until Britain took over in 1941 during the second world war. Oh, see, so you can find a lot of Italian architecture in Eritrea, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. All right. But so it's it's a small African country that's been colonized by a few different oppressors. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and yet they've made such a happy brochure. <laughs> no. Jeez. You know what's weird about this whole story is that Trump didn't vacation there. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, now, yeah. T- Tony and Bonnie, we do have to wrap this up, and ordinarily we no, do that have, with like okay. a national anthem, but um, obviously we don't have that, Ms. Burns. Uh, but but what, what do you have to bring us home here? Okay, well, here's some positives. One of the things is it's not on our do not travel list, Eritrea. It's okay to travel. It's not exactly recommended to travel there. But it's considered mostly safe, okay? And here's a good good thing. Jeez. <laughs> here's a good thing. It has achieved significant improvements in health care and is one of the few countries to be on target to meet its millennium development goals for health, in particular child health. Its life expectancy at birth has increased from 39.1 years in 1960 to 66.44 years in 2020. Well, any kind of improvement is good, of course. Um, But it sounds like the bar was fairly low. No, 
Well, here's one thing. The World Health Organization found that the average life expectancy is slightly less than 63 years, and theirs now is 66.44. Do you know why? No. Because Chuck, that's why. Five people need a body parts, they use Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have my summation. Oh, thank goodness. Okay. Eritrea is a beautiful country. The people are oppressed, but at the same time, they are allowed to live with a certain amount of freedom to enjoy their lives. And some of the things that are available to them, like health care, better nutrition, things like that, improvements, I mean, they are respected somewhat. By who? Yeah, who are they respected by? They just don't have access to freedom of the press. Or they're... They're oppressed, <laughs> but it's not one of the most horrible countries that are out there. It's supposed to be like a nice, interesting place to visit. Bunny is the Goebbels <laughs> of of, uh, uh, of Eritrea. She's a no, yeah. but Tony mm. can tell you it's not like going to Ethiopia. I mean, they don't have people being kidnapped and all that. Well. On the other hand, if they did, we wouldn't know about it because they don't allow press. Well, okay, that's a good point. <laughs> I think this has been delightful. When, when a country doesn't allow press, you have to wonder what exactly is it that they didn't want said. All right, so but in conclusion, if you're in the vicinity of Eritrea and you want to throw a note um, over the wall to some lost relative who's no longer allowed to emigrate... Um, Please uh, add a little thing to the bottom that says, hey, listen to Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone when you get the chance. Yeah. That was delightful, everyone. Delightful. Oh, that was. Yeah. It's very, very uplifting. Thank you, Tony and Bonnie. Your oral report, as usual, outstanding if, uh, work. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, nobodies, if you have a question or comments or you have another country that you want us to uh, investigate, please let us know it. Nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. And Paula, what's going on in the Poundstone product empire this week? Well, Adam, there's been a lot of rain in the L.A. area recently, and that can, of course, slow sales. It's an Internet business. Weather has nothing to do with it. People just don't want your shit. So with that in mind, we're doing very well. I am glad you asked, though, because I have very exciting news. I just released Paula Poundstone Goes to College, a comedy album. It's Ooh. available on all digital yeah. platforms or wherever you listen to comedy, unless you listen to comedy in a bean can. <laughs> I'd love it if people sat in a chair and listened to my album, Paula Poundstone Goes to College, with no distractions. Like in Shawshank Redemption, how Andy Dufresne listened to the Mozart album until the corrupt guard broke in and beat the fuck out of him. That would be great. Not the part where the corrupt guards broke in and Andy spent two weeks in the hole, but the part where he just listened. <laughs> if listeners could do that, that would be great. But also, when you listen while doing chores, it really lifts the burden. That's Paula Poundstone Goes to College, the comedy album. Wow, that's really fantastic, Paula. And that's available uh, right now? 
It's available right now. It's available wherever you listen to comedy. Unless you listen to comedy in a bean can. And on all digital platforms. That's all, amazing. It's on all digital platforms. I'm celebrating the release. You weren't even telling us this was coming. Uh, I feel I feel terrible because I've been talking for weeks. I've been doing the same plug, and it's still not available on any platforms, which is my new book with Charlie Band, Confessions of a Puppet Master. Now, the only update I have for you now is that I've got my copies. Uh, I got five in the mail the other day, and it's a hardcover book, my first hardcover book, and it's beautiful, and there's awesome color pictures inside, and you can have yours Um Oh, very soon, like next week. So pre-order it now, Confessions of a Puppet Master, wherever you get your books. And you can subscribe to this podcast. It's free. You'll get it every week at no charge. If there's something you want to know more about, just let us know at nobodylistenstopaulapoundstone at gmail.com. Once again, that's nobodylistenstopaulapoundstone at gmail.com. And that is our show. Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone is hosted by Paula Poundstone and yours truly, Adam L. Felber. Special thanks to our guest, Dr. Pamela Hieronymi. Yeah. And big thanks to our house band, Matt Evans. Yeah. Yeah. Our show is produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, Bonnie Burns, Ken Lezebnik, and Tony Anita Hull. Starburns production by Land Romo. Poundstone Industries production by Vic Lowry. Transcription services for the show provided by TranscribeMe, a premier internationally used transcription service. Use code Paula Poundstone when placing your order at transcribeme.com to receive an expedited service. I'd also like to thank voice talent, Paul Matlock. That's our show for tonight. Won't somebody please listen to me? Well, that was, uh, did you notice the uh, high leather boots that Bonnie is now sporting? <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's really changed. And that and that cap with the insignia on the front? A little... Yeah, I don't think she knows the difference between right and wrong. <laughs> 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 it's part of the reason I wanted to have an ethicist on, you know, just to sort of help her with the guardrails. Didn't seem to. It, it seems like she's okay with wrong, yeah. as long as it's not mean. I think the phrase, they're oppressed, but they're happy, is, uh, well, it's unique to Bonnie. She does like to look on the bright side of things. I, I'll yeah. give her that. Always look on the bright side of totalitarianism. A podcast network.